Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, Amazing Promises to Dysfunctional People, with a message entitled, Surviving Years of Sorrow. So let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 29, verse 28, to chapter 30, verse 24, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Most of us go through life overemphasizing the sins of others and underestimating the effects of our own sins on others. You know, someone hurts us, we remember. We hurt others, we forget. Now, to be clear, I'm not underplaying the real hurts that many of us do bear. You know, some of us have been treated horribly. Domestic violence, rape, murder of family members, wars that separate families, these are horrific things. But there are other things that also make deep and lasting wounds in our lives. There are times when we are slandered and others are made to believe a lie about us, and that that wounds deeply. You know, sometimes people are falsely accused and fired from their jobs, and economic harm ensues, and we remember what was done to us. You know, sometimes the elderly are swindled out of their retirement savings, and great hardship ensues, a hardship from which they can't recover. Other times, someone cheats and gains a coveted placement at a university ahead of someone who's rightfully earned it, and and lives are changed, and futures are damaged, and people are left feeling the pain of human evil against others. All this happens every single day. I mean, this is an evil world. And in consequences, some people are left in deep bitterness. Others plot revenge, and still others are eaten up on the inside with anger. They don't know what to do about their anger. Still others fall into despair. It was David Powlison, he's a professor of biblical counseling. His writings are you know, refreshingly biblical in the field of biblical counseling. Listen to what he says. He says, suffering really is meant to wean you from sin and strengthen your faith. If you're godless, then suffering magnifies sin. Will you become bitter, despairing, addictive, fearful, frenzied, avoidant, sentimental, godless in how you go about life? Will you pretend it's business as usual? Will you come to terms with death on your terms? But if you're God's, then suffering in Christ's hands will change you, always slowly, sometimes quickly. That's a mouthful. But let me bring these thoughts into our study of Genesis and the life of Jacob. Until Jacob encountered his father-in-law, this wicked man named Laban, Jacob had never understood how wicked he had been towards his father, his brother, his own family. But now he's faced with the awful reality of someone treating him the way he treated others. His life suddenly wrenched out of his own hands, so to speak. Suddenly turns out badly. And then Jacob is launched into a world of disappointment and inner turmoil, others abusing him. He feels pain. Now, I know you might say good on him. He deserves it because finally what goes around comes around. The deceiver gets deceived. Let him feel what he did to others. Well, that requires some degree of self-awareness, and I don't think that Jacob is yet in the place where he sees it. Instead, what he does see is that, you know, seven years go by in which Jacob will know the pain of a deeply divided family, and then another six years will go by trying to make stuff work while he's constantly being deceived and manipulated by a father-in-law determined to take advantage of him. And in the process, Jacob is going to be worn down. You know, for our purposes, as we go through this story, you know, we're going to have to stop at numerous occasions and think about our own lives. Many of us who are listening right now might think of those moments in your own life that are 
unforeseen, unplanned events that introduced either pain or disappointment or a loss of status. What should you do if that's what has come to be in your life? And today, we're going to look at what happened to Jacob, but by the time we're done, we're going to have reasons to have hope and not despair. So hang in there. We pick up our account of Jacob today, where we've just come to the place where Jacob has woken up on his dark honeymoon bed, and he found that his father-in-law has put the wrong woman into his bed. He's married to Leah, not to Rachel. He's been deceived, and so he finds his father-in-law, and he's angry. You've deceived me, he says. So let's carry on, Genesis 29, 26 to 30. Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Now for the first time, Jacob sees Laban for what he truly is. He's not a man given to apologies. When he does wrong, when he deceives and lies, he acts in such a way to secure his own advantage and he justifies himself. I mean, clearly this is a man who's quite capable of doing harm to others, both to Jacob and to his two daughters without even a modicum of conscience. But of course, there's an irony here that we must not miss. I mean, behind all of this is a mirror. Laban looks and acts so much in the same way as Jacob had done just seven years earlier. He's a deceiver, he's a liar, and he gets what he wants regardless of whom he hurts. You know, until this moment, Jacob had never understood how it felt to be deceived and to be harmed by someone else. And let me say these words, it is the will of God that you as his child find sin to be repulsive. You know, until we're disciplined by God, we find sin to be enticing, seductive, and alluring, and always calling. But God brings us to the place where sin feels overwhelmingly sinful. It looks ugly beyond what we've seen before. Jacob is about to enter into years of sorrow. Please notice also that Jacob is also not innocent in the deception of Laban. Having received Rachel as his wife one week after Leah, Jacob makes no bones about it. He loves Rachel, and Leah is unloved, but not just unloved. She's despised. One can only imagine the hurt, the sorrow, and the ugly things that are said straight to Leah. You're a part of this deception. I didn't want to marry you. And then from Rachel, her sister, how could you have agreed to such a horrible thing? You've ruined both of our lives. We'll never forgive you. And often that's what people who are deeply hurt and disappointed and deceived, that's what they do. They strike out. Their expression of anger comes without regard. Now, we might make the case that, you know, Lee is a victim as well. As a woman in her father's house, she's got no power to resist him. Should she have said no, she would have remained unmarried and she was completely dependent on her father to find a husband. And besides, in a culture where marriages are arranged, she is more dependent than most of us in different cultures can imagine. Surely Jacob and Rachel knew this, but they're wounded and hurt and betrayed and deceived, and they can't strike out at Laban, for Laban has power over them. And so Leah becomes the brunt of their anger. 
And so from the very outset of her married life, Leah knows she's despised. Hatred is flowing in the house. Well, let's carry on. Verses 31 to 35. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Now, clearly the atmosphere in this family is alive with tension. And as time passes, the tension only grows. You know, and tragically, that tension isn't going to be lessened. Rather than simply fading into the background, God himself so arranges it that Leah, not Rachel, is given prominence. Rachel is barren, but Leah produces four sons. And any insightful Bible reader should immediately notice these four. The third of the four boys born is Levi, and this will be the priestly line in Israel. Moses, who gives us this account, who writes this down, he is of the priestly line, and so is his brother Aaron. All the priests that come later in Israel are of this line. That means, of course, that Leah is the mother of all the priests in Israel. And we also notice that the fourth son is Judah. And he, of course, becomes the father of the Messiah. He is the ancestor of Jesus. And so from our perspective, we should notice that our Savior came ultimately from the womb of Leah, the unloved woman. And that gives us so much to reflect on. Every once in a while, an opportunity arises that's just hard to pass up. In fact, that's what I want to share with you today. For the next number of weeks, a group dedicated to the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again and In Doubt, have provided a match pledge gift of $125,000. So what does that mean? It means that you have the opportunity to make such an incredible difference in this ministry moving forward. So for every dollar so graciously given right now, another dollar will be given to the ministry up to $125,000. That means if you call us today with a gift of $100, it becomes $200. Or a gift of $1,000, it becomes $2,000, multiplying the opportunity to sustain and grow this Bible teaching and engagement ministry. So please join us in maximizing this generous pledge by calling us today at 1-800-663-2425 or donating securely online at backtothebible.ca. Your gift now doubled will support the ongoing ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again and In Doubt. Jacob is getting the family he really didn't want, but he is getting the family that God knew he desperately needed. And Leah, the hated wife, is giving birth to the Abrahamic blessing and from whom the salvation of the world is going to come. Jacob not only could not have foreseen that, but if he had, he wouldn't have believed it. 
How does God perform his work in this, from his perspective, this most disappointing fashion? Oh, we need to hear that. All of us need to confess that our ideas of what's ideal may not be either what's best for us or serve the wider purposes of God or cause us to revel in God's glory. Could it be that in the middle of our most disappointing and painful years, that right there, God will do his greatest work? Yeah, we must see that God performs his most wonderful work sometimes through a blinding veil of our own tears. Does that surprise you? How could it? The greatest work ever done was our Savior hanging on a cruel cross. Don't complain to God, my dear brother or sister that he assigns to you a heavy cross to bear. Embrace his plans and give him praise. In the end, it will be well with you. Have hope, don't despair. Now, as we read through our text, we see God favoring Leah, but Jacob favors Rachel. Like his father Isaac, Jacob does not yet have the eye to see or appreciate what God is doing. But there's a pathos behind all of this. As Leah bears the first child, Reuben, she says, now my husband will love me, but of course he doesn't. And then Simeon is born and she says, because the Lord has seen that I'm hated. And then with the birth of Levi, she says, this time my husband will be attached to me. But that's a false hope. It never happens. Although I must say in the end, it will be Leah who is buried next to Jacob. There are so many things yet to occur. Now, when we come to Genesis 30, we begin on a sobering note. The tension in Jacob's unwanted family is reaching a breaking point. And so Genesis 30 verses 1 to 2 says, When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Now, clearly, Rachel's jealousy of her sister is because in her culture, a barren wife was held up to social disgrace. And interestingly enough, between Rachel and Leah, each one of them wants what the other one has. Leah wants to be loved the way Rachel is loved. And Rachel wants to have children the way Leah has children. And so each of the two women are making demands, not just on their husband, but they're making demands of God. And this angers Jacob. It seems everyone's angry, everyone's disappointed, everyone's hurt. You want dysfunction? This family's got to be the poster board family for dysfunction. Well, let's continue to read verses 3 to 13. Then she, that is Rachel, said, Here is my servant Billa. Go into her that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice, given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Then Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children. She took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come, so she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. 
At this point in our story, the two maidservants of Rachel and Leah come into the story, and you'll remember that these two women were given to Rachel and Leah at their wedding. And we notice that in the contest between Rachel and Leah, these two women become wives. Now, the term concubine and the term wife are sometimes used, you know, somewhat interchangeably. But even though the two women, that is Bilhah and Zilpah, are called wives in this passage, their status is not equal to Rachel and Leah. They are, in effect, secondary wives or subordinate wives under the two women that they continue to serve. Now, let's not take our eyes from the main point. This matter began when Rachel demanded that Jacob give her a son. And Jacob responds and says, look, I'm not God. I I can't heal your barrenness. Now, if Jacob had been a godly man at this point, he might have taken up his role as a godly leader. He could have encouraged both wives to submit to God's plan. He might have given leadership, but of course, Jacob isn't submitting to God's plan either. Everyone is estranged from God. Everyone's angry. Envy is prominent. Manipulation is commonplace. And so Rachel, when she sees God is not doing what she wants, promotes her servant Bilhah to be a secondary wife. And when the first son is born, she names him Dan, which means God has vindicated me. Now, our ESV text says God has judged me, but other translations say God has listened to me. God has answered my prayer is what it means. God has judged me in the sense that he found me innocent. He vindicated me by giving me a son through Bilhah. But, of course, that's not true. Not satisfied the way things are, she takes matters into her own hands. She's not waiting for God. And when Bilhah gives birth to a second son, Naphtali, Leah then springs into action. Well, two can play that game. And so suddenly, Zilpah is promoted also to be a secondary wife. And so now the family grows to eight boys. But all of this is merely the setting for an even more tragic turn of events. Let's go on to verses 14 to 24. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, it is a small matter that you have taken away my husband. Would you have taken my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. And God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph saying, may the Lord add to me another son. By now in our account, we've got 11 of the 12 sons who will be the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is a sordid nature of their story. On one occasion, as we've seen, Leah informs Jacob that she has hired him. That is, you know, as it were, for a one-night stand. In a sense, that one line, I have hired you, seems to give a clear picture of what this family has become. 
His family's broken at the point of seemingly beyond repair. Jacob has now, rather than be a spiritual leader in the home and the inheritor of the Abrahamic blessing, well, he's been reduced to a man whose services are as a stud to be hired out. He's easily manipulated by the angry women in his life, and his family life is one of commercial exchange. You know, Bruce Waltke, in his insightful analysis of this turn of events, tells us that there are, in fact, four major commercial enterprises in Jacob's life. The first is when he purchased Esau's birthright, and back then, he was flying high and he was the captain of his own ship. And then came the second exchange when he deceitfully got the Abrahamic blessing. He's still living large, but now he's got to sin against God by taking the sacred name in vain. And now comes the third exchange in which he buys not one wife but two, not for seven years of labor but for 14, and this time he's deceived and his life goes in places he had never dreamt. This is a commercial exchange gone bad. And then the fourth commercial exchange in which he's hired out as a sperm donor to the wife he doesn't love, from the captain of his own ship to a man who is seen no more than one who is easily manipulated. Oh, how the mighty have fallen, how the captain of the ship becomes the man who is humbled. Others are now piloting his ship. This is a story of emptiness, of self-inflicted pain. It's a story of sorrow and of a dream that's dashed into the dreariness of a family where no one trusts anyone. These are people whose lives are caught up in a one-upmanship. Everyone's dysfunctional. But of course, our story doesn't end there, does it? Can I repeat that? Our story doesn't end there. God's plan of redemption for the whole world arises out of this mess. What can you and I say but, wow, does this not give us hope? Indeed, take hope. If God is in control, don't you know that neither you nor anyone else can mess things up so bad that God doesn't yet bring out of this mess something wonderful? Take hope. John, let me ask you a quick question. Is there hope when we make so many difficult and bad decisions in our lives? <laughs> you know, um, I think there's wonderful hope. Now, we have to remember we're looking at a Jacob here who is yet an unconverted man and he is acting out of self-interest only. He has not yet interest in the things of God or at least he only uses God to the extent that he is trying to get what he wants. So. Uh, Things will change and grace will come as it will to us, even when we've made the worst of all decisions. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Amazing Promises to Dysfunctional People, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. This month, join us as Dr. Neufeld continues with Volume 4 of his Genesis series entitled Amazing Promises to Dysfunctional People. This series follows the lives of Isaac and Jacob, tracing both the promises of God and the shortcomings brought about by their disobedience. And yet God is gracious and faithful to His promises. In this series, we will discover that God's promises of grace are far greater than our frailty and sin. So, join us throughout the month of June for Amazing Promises to Dysfunctional People. You can also listen to the first three volumes of the series or purchase them online at backtothebible.ca. 
And if you'd like more information, or if you'd like to contribute to our special fiscal year-end campaign in support of all of the ministry programs of Back to the Bible Canada, call today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.ca.